Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Passing the Baton, and we'll be looking at the basics of one-to-one discipleship and how to get started on a new adventure of helping younger believers grow up in their faith. You'll never be the same. Tonight is Passing the Baton, and we're on week four. This is stages of growth, stages of growth in the Christian life. And I went and bought something today. What could it be? Yes, candy. No. (laughs) This is dentist candy, so you'll give them lots of business. But this is a chain, and the purpose of this is to illustrate and highlight the point that in any person's development, physically, spiritually, in any way, they're never helped only by one person. Think about your life. You were raised, uh, in the simplest case, you were raised by your parents, but you perhaps had siblings, cousins, grandparents, who were other people that had an influence on you in your first 25 years? Teachers, who else? Coaches, friends. So there are all kind of different people, and some. Uh, the what the chain isn't good at is it. It shows them all being equal, and obviously, in your life, some people influenced you more than others, and so they'd have a bigger link, and others would have a smaller link. But nobody is the whole link. The same way spiritually, when you think about passing the baton and helping someone else grow, if you think, well, I've got to, I've got to almost be God to them then of course you're not going to even begin. It's just, who is equal to that? But if you think, I have just a part that God has given me, maybe I'm a link, maybe I'm two links, but there are many different people that God's going to use in this person's life, then you can relax and just do your part and be happy about that. Now, part of the problem is is that we we like being important. And so we would like that person to say, oh, the, I owe everything to this person here. You know, So we have to deal with that, that we're just a link in the chain. But that keeps us... Uh, humble, and it also reminds us that there's a time to begin engaging, helping someone, and there's a time when you're done. And maybe someone else can be helpful to them at that point with what they're going through. We're never the whole chain in a person's life, and it shouldn't bother us at all, because it's not about being a star. It's about being a servant. And if you're truly motivated just to serve, then it doesn't matter. A link, two links, whatever, whatever the Lord wants, that's fine. The first point tonight is the, the point about the whole idea of growing up in Jesus Christ. And I've got that verse there I want us to look at for a minute. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. And I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Let me tell you what the questions are first. Uh, The questions are, what is supposed to happen in a Christian's life? That's one question. What's supposed to happen, and how does this happen? So let's read it, and then think about those two questions. As a result, we are no longer to be, say it, Children. children. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, 
being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what is supposed to happen in a Christian in a Christian's life? We are to grow up in all aspects into Him. And how is this supposed to happen? This great big pink cloud of blessing just happens to one day descend on you, and when it lifts back off you, they look at you and say, heavens to Betsy, that person really grew. How are, they, how are we supposed to grow? What's supposed to cause that to happen? Well, it's in the verse. Who is speaking the truth in love? Other people. You ever heard a voice out of heaven? Now, some do, but it's, it's very few and far between. And so if there's any speaking going on, it's God using people's mouths, other people's mouths. It doesn't mean you just talk to yourself and tell yourself the truth and you grow up. It says other people are going to be speaking God's truth and you grow up. It also says that there are things that every joint supplies. And it's the proper working of each individual part. You have the idea that there's this constant back and forth between the members of the body of Christ. But what I want you to see there is that's the mechanism God has for us growing up. It's not every man for himself. And says, hey man, I had to figure it out on my own. You've got to figure it out on your own. Forget, you know, I'm not going to help you. It takes other people in the body of Christ to help us grow up. It doesn't mean anything that anybody says, you just say, well, that must be what God wants me to do. It's only to the degree that they're speaking truth. And how are you going to know if they're speaking truth? Well, you have a, a measure. That's why we've got to teach people to get into the Scriptures and to listen to the Lord because He's the Lord. And even though He works through people, it's always imperfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously the main way we're applying it here is that God wants to use you to help others. Well, I want you to work in small groups for a minute with this same uh, phrase that's in this passage grow up in all aspects into Him, in groups of twos, threes, or fours, uh, talk about the question, what does that mean to grow up in Him? What do you think that means? So take a minute now, group up, and uh, discuss what does that mean to grow up in Him? Okay, let's uh, hear back from you. What did you uh, come up with? What does it mean to grow up in Him? Well, I think Lynn touched upon it, that we talked about um, that curriculum would be daily devotionals, Bible study, prayer. And so in him, uh, you've got to be learning and praying and communing in the spirit in order for those truths to become evident. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not that just that you become all that you could be. It's that you become all that he could be. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to graduate from high school, but to grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as it says in another passage. You think, now, wow, that God's really ambitious here. And isn't it interesting that one of his main mechanisms for causing that to happen is using other people? Well, let's look at this. Uh, we've got this illustration tonight. But this is the most helpful illustration I've seen in, in terms of uh, laying it out a little bit more. On the bottom, you'll notice the same thing we saw last time 
of, the, of that process diagram, that big idea, that big picture of ev evangelizing or sharing our faith, leading someone to Christ, establishing, bringing a person to being walk and firm in their walk with Christ, equipping, teaching them how to be helpful to others, leading them to Christ, helping them grow. And then finally, uh, sending or engaging where they get specifically and particularly placed in the body of Christ because there are special gifts and callings. Some called to be missionaries, seminary professors, housewives, work with children, work with uh, prisoners. There are all kind of different types of callings that each ha has, uh, apart from the general, general things of leading people to Christ and helping them grow, there are very specific things that are particular to that type of an area of ministry. So the growth starts off with, uh, you could say the obvious, the focus is that they come to know Christ, the focus is conversion. Now as we go through this illustration, I want you to remember it can be used in two ways. The first is, to the question you can ask yourself is, where do I need to grow? What does this show me about me? Where am I? And um, what I might need to have more of an emphasis on at this point in my life and see what kind of resources or activities or books or things would help me move to the next stage of my own development. A second way this illustration can be used is to answer the question, where is the person that I am helping? Where are they along this? Like I said, since we're linking a chain, it's not as though we're going to give you somebody an atheist, and you have to turn them into a missionary, you know. You know, the, uh, the 48 links or something. That says, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to give you somebody, and they're at some point along here, and maybe God has brought them into your life for you to help them a bit right where they are. But you have to find out where they are if you're going to do that. If someone, I think we used this illustration at one point, if someone calls you and says, uh, can you tell me how to get to Atlanta? What's your question? Where are you? It makes a big difference if they're in Washington or Bermuda. So it helps you also uh, identify sort of in general terms where the person is in their development and how you might be most helpful to them. So the first thing that's help, most helpful to anybody is that they come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they ask Jesus to come in, forgive their sins. John 3.3 3, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going to start, to see if the person has come to know Jesus Christ. And you know, there are a lot of people in church that that hasn't become clear to them. We visited someone four years ago, a couple, and they'd already joined a church. And after supper, I just worked out where I could ask her, well, uh, them, it, it, have you come to the place in all these years of church attendance where if you were to die tonight, you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And she leaned forward and she said, I think about that every night. I said, well, would you like to see what the Bible says about that? Sure. So we got out a Bible and they were from Puerto Rico and, and uh, shared all of that. And would you like to ask Christ to come into your life? Yes. And so they both prayed and I, I probably shouldn't have peeked, but I peeked and, you know, um, <laughs> and tears were streaming down her face and dropping onto her open Bible. It was such a moving moment. What a privilege to get to lead people to Christ. And if that, you've never had that chance, ask God. 
Uh, even and, and if you feel like you're unable and you could never do that, then ask him doubly because he would much rather use you than people that are good at it because he gets more credit. So he says, Lord, because I'm such a difficult case, then I'm the kind you apparently like. So do it with me. Everyone will be surprised. So uh, the first focus is conversion, that they come to know Christ. The second focus is confirmation. Confirmation, 2 Corinthians 13.5, very interesting verse at the end of 2 Corinthians. And Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Now he's writing to people in the church. Test yourselves to see if, if, this is, well, Paul, I mean, this is the end of the second letter, not the first letter. He says, well, that's not a big vote of confidence there. He doesn't even think we're Christians. He says, I'm not saying either way. You need to be sure. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Huh. Don't you know that got him thinking? So, uh, I forgot to mention the words under the focus of conversion. It's got these four words, the uh, approach, presentation, apologetics, and decision. This isn't, of course, primarily on sharing your faith, but let me at least explain those words. Approach just means you have to have some way where you get in, the, the, the subject comes up. It could be that there's an accident's happened, there's been a death, there's, been, there's a sickness, you're visiting somebody and they bring up church. There are different things that might, where it might work out to, to talk with them about Christ. Second is presentation. Have some way where you could simply explain what is the message. I mean, what a tragedy to have been in the church 10 years and someone says, well, I, I think I'd like to become a Christian. Can you tell me what that is and how I can do it? No. What do you mean, no? Aren't you in the church? Aren't you a member? Aren't you a Christian? Yeah. And you can't tell me the most basic thing about your faith? No. You don't see some kind of a problem there? So a simple presentation. Apologetics is the third word, and that just means being able to give an answer to some of the basic questions people might ask. Or at least have some books that have some answers to that and that you can recommend them. Like The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. There are some excellent books that handle most of the main questions. And you can either read those and try to reproduce what they said, or you just hand them the book. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then the final word under conversion is decision. So often people will do a presentation, but they won't give the person an opportunity to ask Christ into their life. I heard one person say it this way one time after they drew out the illustration of the, of the gospel. They said, is there anything that would keep you from opening up your heart to Jesus Christ today? Wow, you know, that's like, it's a little bit maybe like a car salesman, but uh, sells cars. But uh, the whole idea is a lot of times people are ready. And we're just so back off that we don't say, it's a wonderful thing. Wouldn't you like to do that right now? And a lot of times God's already been working, so they are ready. Under confirmation, what you're looking for is to see, did they really come to know Christ? Yes, maybe they're religious. Maybe they're in their church. Maybe they even prayed a prayer. Maybe they went forward. But maybe they're not born again. You say, how could that be? I don't know. Nicodemus wasn't born again. And he was a leader in the Jewish nation. And it was the most spiritual place in the world as far as Bible stuff goes. And he didn't have it, whatever it was. So under confirmation, if uh, what you're looking for there is 
to, for you and the other person to be able to, to see, do, have they really come to know Jesus Christ? And do they have eternal life? So you're trying to understand, help them understand assurance of salvation. The next word is hunger, the idea that if they've really come to know Christ, then they will uh, be hungry for the things of God. As far as the scripture, as far as maybe coming to some activities where they're, they're Christians, that's why it's got the body of Christ there. Testimony means that not that they can preach or anything, but that they would be willing to admit to others that they've asked Christ into their life. I said, no, no, I'm not going to tell anybody. Well, then I'm not so sure Jesus is going to talk about you either. Uh, he, you know, it's sort of, you know, I'll go as far as you will. So if you, you're not sure about Jesus, he's not sure about you. And then the last word there is, is nurture, because a new Christian a lot of times is attacked in their mind with doubts. I, I prayed that prayer. I was sincere, but who knows? Uh, will it really take with me? I am so bad. And then maybe they struggle with, but the things I've done, how could God possibly forgive me? But even if they get that far and think, well, I, I think God's forgiven me, but then they sin again. They say, oh, no, I've messed it all up now. I was trying to behave now, and now it's all over. So all these different things where all you know is you presented the gospel last week, they prayed to receive Christ, you're happy. You're going around telling your friends, and they're dying this week because they're getting attacked by all these second thoughts and doubts. And so that's where this time of confirmation, a lot of times another word for it is follow-up. To come alongside him as a friend at that point and be there for questions. It's, it's mostly just loving and fellowship and caring about people, uh, but helping them through those first steps. The next focus, okay, now you're sure, as sure as you can be, that they really are born again, that they are Christian. And the next focus is commitment. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Because obviously the word Lord, uh, other translation is, is boss, king, man, in, one in charge. He says, why do you call me the one in charge and then I give you a charge and you don't do what I say? You call me king and I give you an order and you ignore me. So either don't call me king and don't obey or call me king and obey. And so this is a time of where they really kind of flesh out their walk with God. Are we going to be serious about this or not? To be a Christian, to walk with God. And a lot of what's normally considered to be discipleship takes place right here. In fact, this is one of the clearest parts of, if you want how-tos and ideas on helping people, this of the six areas is the it's really the simplest, and it's extremely meaningful to people if presented in the right way. I mean, you don't want to get them set up for uh, a legalistic mindset, and then they're, they beat themselves to death with guilt because it didn't, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, know, you have to present it in the right way. But if it's done the right way, all of these different uh, spiritual disciplines give people wings. It's like you've taken a malnourished child and sat him down to the Ryan's buffet. And they're just eating and having a great time. They're not thinking, well, oh, maybe I should have eaten more of the broccoli. You know, here I, I pigged out on the fries. You know, it's, you know if, if between not eating anything, you know, and eating 
it's good. It's helpful. So under commitment, some of the things it would be lordship. That's helping them to understand that Jesus Christ needs to be have first place in their life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The, that, a, that a Christian really should be always asking the question, what does my Lord want me to do? And be happy about doing that. Obedience, responding as, as God speaks to you from the scripture or in different ways. And you really sense this is from the Lord. I, uh, I need to do that. Responding. And then looking at basic disciplines like uh, Bible study, quiet time. That means a daily time of reading the Bible and praying. Prayer, evangelism. At this point, you teach them some simple ways where they can communicate their faith. That will also help them grow. It's a big step forward in your faith when you have learned a simple way to present the gospel and you do it with somebody. Even if you stumble through it, fall flat on your face, doesn't matter. For some reason, it causes you to, to grow up just a little bit more because you publicly identify with Jesus Christ. In fact, every time you explain the gospel to somebody else, it's almost like you become a Christian again. I mean, it does you that much good. And the, the times I've been able to pray with someone to, to lead them to Christ, I can't name any other joy on earth that really can compete much with that. It's just such an amazing thing for God to do that. And then finally, consistency in terms of the things that they're seeking to do as they walk with God in terms of getting in the scripture and in praying. You'll notice down at the bottom I've got small groups. The, the first half of this uh, uh, illustration, all the content is pretty much the same for everybody. It's not as though you've got half the Christians in the world, it would really be good for them to read their Bible, but they don't need to pray. And the other half, they should pray, they don't need to write, read the Bible. These are the things, or some that uh, for uh, half the world, they need the gospel. The other half, don't even tell them they don't need the gospel. Everything is the same in these first three in terms of all the basics of what, what, what you would give a person and what they would need. And by doing it in small groups, you have the added benefit that they have other people that are about at their same point of growth so that they don't feel like they're just with the big cheese who knows everything, this walking Bible. I mean, I really admire them. I appreciate their meeting with me, but I just feel such a, I'm such a pygmy. But you have other pygmies, he says, isn't it, you know. And, and so you, there's this kind of camaraderie, you know, and one falls, they pick him up, then you fall, they pick you up. And it really it has a way of, of holding, holding them up more than the, uh, just the, the leader could do. So you put more of an emphasis on doing things in a group. Okay, let's move to the fourth one. The fo focus is on, on character. And now we're moving into the equipping. By the time you finish these two that are unestablishing, confirmation and commitment, the idea is that now you've got somebody... I mean, just imagine, what if half the church, even half the church, had gotten that far? that uh, out of a, what's our membership, 1,500? Okay, let's just say 1,600? Do I hear 1,700? No. Uh, let's just say it, if we were 1,600, which is close enough. Well, half would be 800, but I guess they're children in all ages. So we'll just say, if, what if 500 people in the church were sure of their salvation and Jesus Christ, to the degree they knew how, was number one in their life. Any time that God made something clear to them, they were going to do it. They were going to obey. They love studying the Bible. Every day they're meeting with God in the Word and prayer. 
Uh, they have a prayer list. They're praying for people. They're seeing answers to prayer. They love sharing their faith, and, and uh, they're leading people to Christ. If we had 500 people like that, and they're being consistent in doing that, and they're looking for ways to honor the Lord, I mean, that would be sort of good, wouldn't it? That's only half of this illustration. Okay, let's move on. The next step would be a focus on character. And here we pass to a greater emphasis on, on what's going to say down here, life on life. Because once you start issues of character, it's more particular to each particular person. Some people talk too much. Other people don't talk. They stuff it all, get mad at everybody, but they're not going to say anything. And some people are very, very impatient. And other people are patient as the day is long, but they should have reacted a long time ago because they're, they're letting something go and it shouldn't keep going like that. Some people are very, very faithful and consistent, but then they're, they're very mean to everybody else who's not faithful and consistent. They can't stand them because it's very easy. You just do this and this and you do it every single day the exact same way. What's your problem? So character issues come up uh, because by the time they're here, of course, they're, they're already in, involved, they're serving, they're doing things. And so under character, you've got, well, let me read the verse in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 14. Paul writes Timothy, But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So Paul's talking about what Timothy had observed in him. Now let me go over those words again. I don't know if, what you got out of that. Uh, he's, I think he says about seven things here. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. One of them focuses on content, teaching. What are the, uh, what are the others, the other six things? Conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. What would you call that? Is that content? Is that something they have written in a notebook? It's character. He says, for me, you got some teaching, but you got a ton of character stuff. When you think about training people for the ministry, what do we do to train people for the ministry in our denomination, in most denominations? We we send them off to seminary. I mean, if you really want the big dogs, you know, you you they cram three years of teaching and theology and all of these things, and then they go through all the ordination stuff. But when you think of all that's done, probably my observation so far is maybe ninety five percent is content, or ninety percent, or eighty five percent, and then almost all the rest is skills. A little bit of homiletics, how do you preach, stuff like that. When you think of most of the people that you've ever known that have left the ministry, why was it? It's usually a character issue. Not always, but more often than not, and particularly the bad cases, it's a character issue. And so that's, that's also part of the development process. It's much harder to figure out how to do that. Anybody that's had a teenager has already been working on this one uh, at length and is still not sure how to do it. Uh, now, one of the things, why, why is character here and not 
Why, why couldn't we put character before commitment? Think about that with me for a minute. You don't have to do everything in a person's character. God does almost all of it. As you get them in the scripture and they begin to discipline themselves to sit with God and listen to him and pray, you know what? God begins pointing out things to them. You were pretty much a beast yesterday. Yes, I was, Lord. I'm so sorry. And so there are certain things that they're picking up just as they get in the Bible and uh, walk with God with a humble heart. They get a lot of the things. What are the things they don't get? Blind spots. There's a part on the back of your head that you've never seen. Maybe you've seen a reflection of it in a mirror, but you've never seen it. It's right back there. Everybody else has seen it. You haven't seen it. <laughs> Character is the same way. And so there's certain issues that is, they could read the Bible their whole life, pray their whole life, go to church their whole life, and they're never going to see it. Who's going to have the guts to tell them? The person that they've been led to for that period of time to grow up together with. And they give that person permission to speak into their life. Have you given anybody that permission to speak into your life? Is there anybody that would have the guts to tell you if you had a character issue? We usually get it set up so everybody knows, listen, this is don't ask, don't tell. You know, I won't do it to you and I don't want you to do it to me. But what that means is you're stuck right where you are. We all need input. And even if it's not 100% correct, it's better than nothing. And you can, if there's even 5% of that comment that's helpful, make the most of that 5%. The other 95%, it wasn't correct, doesn't matter. It just falls down like that if you let it. If you're humble enough to grab onto the part that was true instead of saying, well, 95% of that wasn't true. says, so, well, yeah, but the other 5%, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> So their character issues in terms of life, their, their faith, love, holiness, submission, serving, and then different character issues when it comes to ministry. Their heart for ministry, for people, for God, their vision, their humility. This is where you would maybe take a chance to share with them an area that's, that's not right in their life and see how they react. And that might, you just might have ended your link in their chain because some people just uh, won't, won't receive it from you. Maybe, maybe God will send somebody in their life they can receive it from. But I tell you what, if anybody's really going to be great for God, they're going to be open to other people helping them that way. And it's, it's worth trying. Now, I never do it lightly. I mean, sometimes I'll think about it a whole six months before I'll bring something up to somebody that I'm working with. It's not every little thing. Well, no, that's not right. That's not right. No, it's too, it's like operating on somebody every day. You know, what are we going to do today? Hernia? Open heart tomorrow, lungs on Thursday. We'll kill them. So it's not as though you want to, you know, overuse the thing. But as you're walking with somebody, normally you're, you're kind of doing ministry together by this point, And they're also going, you know, sharing their faith and doing different things. So you're, you're maybe they're your lieutenant or you're doing stuff together uh, with the children or whatever. But you begin to notice there's a pattern. And this thing keeps happening. And you're thinking, I wonder if they even know that that's going on. I wonder if they have any idea what kind of a price they're paying in their relationships because they do that. I wonder. And you pray about it and you watch and you think, am I really seeing it for what it is? I wonder what's causing it. And you just kind of keep, you walk, you keep it with you and it might be months before you bring it up. But by the time you bring it up, it's matured in your own heart 
And I remember sitting with someone at the Pizza Hut down across from the Capitol down at, at uh, USC. And after six months of thinking about it with one of my very best friends, I said, uh, you know, in these situations, and I named about three situations, you know, whenever the dishes are being done, you're in the farthest part away in the house from the dishes when we have a group meeting and stuff like that. Uh, I think you have a problem with servanthood. And, and he was devastated, as we always are when anybody touches us in an area of character, particularly if it's true. And, but he took it to heart and changed and is still being blessed by God. The next focus is a focus of contribution. Heavens to Betsy, now we've got somebody that's not only for sure Christian, loving reading their Bible, praying, they're sharing their faith, leading people to Christ, but also uh, they, they made it through it when that pastor told them that they were talking too much or whatever, and they just said, okay, yeah, that's me, and I'm going to... So in their character, they're, they're humble, they're accepting correction, and you think, man, we got to get this guy plugged in. We, this is the kind of a person we want, the kind of man, the kind of woman we want in the ministry. They are such a good example. And so here, you work with the person on learning to take initiative. We're going to have an oyster roast on Saturday. And any of the people that I've been working with that are up to this point, before they go to the oyster roast on, on Saturday, I want to sit them down and say, guys, get your game face on. This isn't about oysters. It's about 200 men coming together with all kind of needs. They're going to be people that don't know Christ, brand new Christians. They're going to be people that used to read their Bible that don't. They're all these different things. That's the true harvest here. It's not oysters and barbecue and bluegrass. When you walk into a situation, what do you see? And so that's the thing, the focus on contribution. It's not about you. It's about you uh, touching other lives for Christ. But if you don't have your eyes open, if you don't lift up your eyes and look on the fields, then you're just going in and thinking, well, are any of my friends here? Does anybody want to sit with me? Is there a place where they will want to talk to me? Let's see, I think I'll go back for seconds. And you wasted the whole evening. You could have eaten at home. We don't have to do this just for food. It's for ministry. But ministry is a mindset. And so here you're working on helping them realize you need to think differently in your life, in the different situations in your life. That's where you do uh, uh, the idea of pace setting, where you take them with you uh, in, in different situations. Uh, I, I take people with me on hospital visits and new member visits and things like that so that they can observe me and then maybe I let them lead and I, I can observe them. Principles of leadership, because by this time maybe they're over a, a small team of people and there may be some things that they, they need to learn more about how not to offend people. <laughs> Faithfulness. They said, yes, I will do it. And then you think, where are they? They said they were going to do it. So they're, again, I guess that's a little bit uh, back to character. But teaching them how important that is to keep your word. You said you were going to do this. Yeah, but I got this better opportunity. It's not about you. It's about him. And you made a promise and how to work on a team. Some people are real achievers, so they burn through all of this, but they're lone rangers. They, they're terrible on a team. 
So this is the, the two focuses in terms of, of equipping. And again, this is a little bit more individual. Most of the time when you help somebody, it'll primarily focus around this area of commitment. And if God really blesses that, you stay in touch with them. You're still friends, you're co-laborers in the ministry. And that's where different character issues will come up. But you can't plan that. It says, well, this month we're going to learn love. So no, well, you could do this month we're going to learn how to have a quiet time. You can't learn love this month. You're going to, God, that's a long program. God's going to be working on you on love and faith and all those things the rest of your life. Wow, I think it's time to move to calling. Uh, yes, I hear the Lord's voice. Um, the, the verse on contribution is Luke 9, 12 through 13. And the day began to, de to decline, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, Anybody remember? You give them something to eat. Are we getting confused here? You're Jesus. We're just the disciples. We're fishermen. We haven't been fishing. And he's moving them into making their contribution and says, you can do great things for God with God's help. God is prepared to do wonderful things through your life. Engage. You give them something to eat. And in the same way as you look out on the, all the people and you see maybe, maybe see needs in our church in the city of Columbia, what do you think Jesus Christ wants to say to you? What are you going to do about it? Me? It's your world, God. He says, yeah, but you're my agent in this world. Will you believe me for great things? William Carey, the cobbler in England, what, 300 years ago? Uh, just repairing shoes, but God touched him in terms of uh, world vision. And he had a big map done in leather on his wall and decided somebody's got to go do something. So he headed out to India translated the Bible or portions of it in about 40 languages in his lifetime. Just, uh, just incredible. Uh, what it takes to make a contribution in the world. You give them something deep. And then the last one is the focus is on calling. If you've got somebody there, you want to get them plugged in in just the right place. Because we're not all hammers or screwdrivers or pliers. We're, we're, we're each one, it's like we're our own tool in God's toolbox. And so here you've, maybe you originally get the tool and it's in one of those plastic things that's almost impossible to open. Have you tried to open some of these containers that they sell stuff in? And you, you know, you, but you finally get it out of the container, you know, and you unwrap it and everything. So you've, you've got that tool. Now you want to use the tool. Have you ever tried to use a screwdriver as a hammer? It's terrible. Have you ever tried to use a hammer like a screwdriver? It doesn't go well. By this time under calling, you're thinking, what is the particular design of this life? What were they made by God to do? And the way you know you found it is when the person is doing that, they, they can tell, this is what I was born to do for God. And that is a wonderful ambition to have for the person also that you're helping. But that's the kind of things you're going to look at, what kind of gifts they have. It, it might, might be that it's an area that they need to pioneer. Uh, they want to reach prisoners on the Internet. 
and there isn't a ministry on that yet. And it might be something that they're going, that God's going to use to start that with, with them. You're going to look at their life calling. What, what do you think God's leading you to do in your life? And what, what some people call, what's your passion? It might involve uh, geographical change in terms of the world. It might just be where in the body of Christ a person's called to serve. So those are the different areas. It doesn't mean that at any point along here you're not learning about character. You know, uh, at every point along here you're learning about character. And it, really at every point along here, every day, someone said you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. I'm not trying to say that it, the Christian life is, I think we've passed over the line now, you know. It's a lot murkier than that, unfortunately. That's why the key word here is focus. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing going on in the person's life. It means that that is the thing that would be most helpful to focus on at that point in their growth. Why would we start with conversion and not start with character, for example? I mean, they've probably got plenty of character issues back at the beginning. Why wouldn't we start with character before they become a Christian? Like, the gun's not loaded. I mean, like... We have a corpse here. We're not going to do the uh, body pump workout tape yet. They're just lying there. So th there's a natural order th to this. First, they need to know Christ. What else are you going to start with? Second, we need to make sure they really know Christ. Like, that's obvious enough. The third is we want to get them plugged in in confirmation to regular nourishment. It's like we found this person, this crash victim, and we want to clear the breathing passage and we want to make sure that, that they survive uh, this crash. They're going to need nourishment. They're going to need some help. We're not working with them on character yet. We're not going to start as they're lying there bleeding. We're saying, now, now the next, how fast were you going? Uh-huh. Now, have you ever thought, have you studied the book on, on driving rules? They're dying. They're starving. They're dying, you know. So uh, you, you work on commitment where they are getting in the Scripture and prayer and all the basics so that God can already be working in their life. But in terms of character, there's some things that that's not going to be enough and needs a little more attention. And then you get them serving the Lord. But anyway, yes, Tom. I was just going to say, it's fairly convicting and challenging and it helps me look at that spot in the back of my head that nobody sees on where I am in each one of these timelines. Mm -hmm gives me some areas to refocus on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you really are, the rest of your life, you're sort of continuing to cycle through this because people for, go through a great time of uh, their prayer life for maybe a year or two, ten, and then it goes into, who knows what, limbo, since <laughs> we better come back here and get some fresh input. Uh, well, everybody is so different. Some people uh, seem to be very ready to come to Christ and others take 40, 50 years. It's just usually that there's a process leading up to it that can, takes a different amount of time for each person. Uh, normally, uh, in my experience, the, these two here can happen, the confirmation and commitment can take about uh, two years or something. And uh, the other t can take two to, two to six years also, so, uh, the character and contribution. But it's... It's better not to think that it's got to be a certain amount of time because each person is, is different. Well, the good thing is, is that we can preach the gospel to ourselves and say, Lord, everything in the past is under the blood of Christ. And now 
for such a time as this, for some reason I'm hearing this now, and now I'll be held responsible for it, and, I'll, and help, just help me walk into this. Now, and you need to th take the paradigm that you already know, the model you already know, from family life, of getting married, having kids. Uh, that's not something that happens in a day. You kind of grow into that, and it's like a lifelong process. Why do you think this is any different? This doesn't. This isn't like baking apple pies. Okay, now I know how to bake apple pies. Got to get up tonight. I'm going to bake an apple pie. It's like no. This is like having babies. That takes time, and it takes it takes a lot of things. And it's okay. It's a natural process. It's something God wants to just have flow out of your life, but He wants you to participate by saying, Lord, I believe, and I'm ready to the degree you make me able. I want to learn more, and I want to respond to the people that you bring into my life. I don't want this to just be something I force, but I'm trusting that you're going to do something through me with these things. Well, let me close. I want to remind you that when we talk about passing the baton and helping other people, we're not talking about collecting scalps. Oh, I've helped five people. It's about being a servant of the Lord and of the people that he brings into your life. Like I said, you're only going to be a part of the great plan that God's pulling off in someone's life. You'll have a part. But what a privilege to have a part. What a privilege to be like a spiritual parent to somebody. And it's important to have realistic expectations. When you first start on this, you think, uh, if the Lord's really touched you, you're thinking, this is wonderful, wow. Let's go do it. I remember I tried my whole freshman year at Georgia Tech, and there were about 10 people I was working with. None of them panned out. I'd, I'd set up things and go by and meet with them, and I was, of course, enthusiastic. You think I'm enthusiastic now. And uh, I was weightless then. I was as thin as a piece of spaghetti. But uh, And I'd be all around the freshman dorm. None of them worked out. It was like my third year doing this that I finally found somebody that really meant business. But I was learning the whole time. It was okay. It doesn't always look like it's working. And there will be many people that you will serve and try to help and know that possibly you could help, but they just don't want it bad enough. It's not their moment, maybe. And you're going to be tempted to say, oh, I'm a failure. It's just, I'm just not good at this. No. God himself doesn't ha seem to have success in a lot of cases. I mean, look at all of his children. You really think? All Christians are doing that well. They're his kids. I mean, I imagine if God can be frustrated, I'll bet he's frustrated sometimes. So don't think that uh, you, everything has to always look like it's going well. You're guided by, uh, you're doing it in faith and in hope and in love. In faith that God can use even you. In love that it's worth doing even if it doesn't work. Because you were caring about somebody and showing them God's love and in hope that you believe eventually we're going to see some fruit. Even if we go through some times of where it looks like it's not going to happen. Thank you, Lord, that you sweep into our lives like an invisible wind and things begin to move and shake and tremble and we begin to change. We do stumble, we do get dirty, we do find evil intent at times in our heart and uh, wonder if there's any hope for us. But you've said yes, 
because there is a God and he's that great to be able to save even people like us and not only save us but use us for his glory and so we lift up trembling hands of faith tonight to say Lord you have promised you have commanded and you must do it but we're ready and we love you and we look forward to bringing all the fruit and placing it at your feet and saying to God be all the glory in Jesus name Amen Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.